As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This season, the world's biggest football podcast network is even bigger. Alongside our three weekly episodes of Totally and the two Totally Football League shows, we've got three episodes of the all-new Athletic Football Podcast with Mark Chapman. Adam Hurry's football cliches will now be with you on Mondays and Wednesdays. There'll be two lots of Michael Cox on our tactics podcast and we've revamped our FPL and women's football shows. Our Liverpool, Man United, Chelsea and Tottenham club podcasts are now twice a week. And don't forget, we've also got our TIFO, Offside Rule and Football Manager shows too. There are also amazing new series with both Kelly Cates and Jackie Oatley coming up later in the year, so stay tuned for those. You can listen to all of these podcasts across our network in all the usual places or ad-free on The Athletic app. The Athletic, the world's biggest football podcast network. Kids, it's a new Totally Football show. In today's one... Match Day 2 approaches like a hell-crazed war vixen on party mix, bringing with it talk of Man City Norwich, Wolves Spurs, Arsenal Chelsea, Fron Nodes, Norwegian surveillance, buckets and beach balls, and much, much more. Whip yourself then into a state of advanced excitement with this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Thursday, the 19th of August, as we do this, we have with us Duncan Alexander, Oi, Oily Taylor. Hello, James. Good. Charlie Eccleshire of The View from the Lane is with us too. Hi, Charlie. Hi, James. How are you doing? Uh, very well, thank you. And Dan Bardell from our bitter arch rivals, The Athletic Football Podcast. <laughs> All right, Dan. Good morning, James. You're also representing the 1874 podcast, who we don't mind so much. And... Uh, judging by my Zoom call with you, the city of Paris today, you've got a shirt with the word Paris written all over it. That's quite on trend. Yeah, although it's one of those ones where a lot of football fans don't like you wearing Paris Saint-Germain tops nowadays. That they think that you should, Is it a Paris Saint-Germain top? All I can see is Paris. Paris Jordan as well. Bit of, bit of Michael Jordan oh, on there as well. Yeah, yeah. It's not, not, right. not the popularest T-shirt at the moment, I don't think. No, I think shirts with, you know, the name of the team written across them are particularly unpopular this week as well. With good reason, I think. Right. I'm, I'm referring to that company's third choice trip for, what, Man City, who else, Milan? Yeah. Is it PSV Eindhoven? Munchengladbach. 
Mönchengladbach. They had, you know, that's one of the extra large ones, that, that, those ones. But, um, <laughs> yeah, extraordinarily... Uh, can, can you see people coming round to those Puma kits, Charlie? Mm. What, you mean the sort of uh, reverse backlash contrarian that people will yeah. start to like them? Uh, probably. That tends to be the, uh, the journey of these things. Duncan? Yeah, in like 15 years' time, people, they'll be rare and exciting. But right now... <laughs> It's just a lot of information to take in uh, horizontally. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't, sometimes the boldest changes, the most kind of adventurous moves, are, are the ones that cause the most, the most upset, the most uproar. Uh, I'm not sure if this falls into that category. I think this is just a bit dim. But anyway, uh, so much to discuss. 1874 podcast. Dan, what kind of season are you going to have with Villa? Well, I was a lot more confident before I went to Vicarage Road on Saturday because, to be honest, Villa were absolutely all over the place on, on Saturday afternoon and Watford ripped them to shreds in the first half. I think it might be a reverse of last season. You know how last season we started really, really well and then we faded in the second half of the season, Grealish got injured. And when you end the season badly, it, it doesn't feel as good as if you if you finish it well. So if you start badly and finish well... The atmosphere feels a little bit different around the place, so I actually think it might end up being the reverse of last season this time round. Oh, right, okay. Uh, well, it was certainly was a very entertaining game that one for the neutrals, as was pretty much all of match day one. Let's get a, a quick check before we launch into our look at this weekend at uh, what the fixtures actually are. Saturday lunchtime, Liverpool host Burnley. Remember how? Liverpool had a 68-game unbeaten run going at Anfield till last season. Well, it was the Claret that ended it. At 3pm on Saturday, four games. Villa will be taking on Newcastle. Palace are up against Brentford. It's Leeds, Everton and Man City, Norwich. Then Saturday, tea time. Hello, Brighton, Watford. On Sunday, Saints host Man United, who beat them 9-0 in their last meeting. Nuno returns to Wolves with his new side Spurs and Arsenal face Chelsea. Monday night, the round concludes with West Ham Leicester. Woof. Can we start with Sunday's Arsenal-Chelsea? Well, this was the fixture that um, I would say turned things round for Arsenal. Maybe that's a bit strong, but it was, it was a bit of a turning point in their season. At that point, they would genu- this was Boxing Day last year and they were genuinely being talked about as possible relegation candidates. I mean, Sam Allardyce said as much in a slightly provocative way when he, soon after taking over at West Brom, um, also known as the Emile Smith-Rowe game because it was the game where he came into the team and suddenly uh, the penny dropped that playing with a number 10 was, or or any player with any creativity was maybe quite a good idea um, with Ozil out of the picture and Arsenal won that game and won the return game as well. They did the double over Chelsea last season and won the FA Cup final. So, in that sense, you're thinking, uh, you know, the form of recent matches is with Arsenal. But obviously, given what happened last week and how good Chelsea have been, this looks like a very, very daunting um, task for Arteta and his team. No fans, I believe I'm, I'm right in saying, in, in attendance in any of the last three meetings, which have seen True. Arsenal win all three. Also, no Romelu Lukaku in attendance, and he is now available for Thomas Tuchel's side and, and raring raring to go chomping at the bit says tv's ian wright who i just bumped into in a corridor in, in kind of tv land and he said he's been talking to romelu uh because because they're pals and he is absolutely fired up and he thinks that chelsea <laughs> are going to tear arsenal you know various new apertures uh, at, at the weekend 64 goals in two seasons at, at inter for romelu lukaku 
How worried should Arsenal be, Dan? Very worried. I said last week on the podcast that I do that if I was Brentford, Arsenal would be the ideal team that, that I'd want to play because they're, they're still enough to be seen as a scalp, but you can easily get at them. I think for a first game, if Lukaku could pick an opponent again, he'd turn around and say, yeah, I fancy a bit of Arsenal at the Emirates. The crowd are already going to be antsy after what's happened last week against Brentford. You mentioned there was no crowd in those games that Arsenal won. I think if Chelsea go 1-2 up early on in that game, Lukaku and Chelsea could have an absolute field day and you could see some some ugly scenes at the Emirates from the fans because I think they're frustrated, they're fed up with the way the, the club's being run. Quite frankly, they just make bizarre decision after bizarre decision. Even the Ramsdale stuff, which I'm sure will come on to, makes absolutely no sense to me at all. And yeah, Lukaku, I bet he is chomping at the bit. I bet Ian Wright's very, very concerned for his beloved club. Just on Lukaku, I remember it was 2014 when he was playing for Everton and Martinez stuck him out on the right wing, which seemed quite curious. Oh, yeah. and he, it was basically him against Nacho Monreal and he absolutely destroyed him in a game that Everton won 3-0 and Arteta actually scored an own goal in that game just to kind of link it to the modern day. So he has, uh, he has previous uh, terrifying the Arsenal defenders. Yeah, we saw it from Lukaku in the Euros as well. He's actually very good pulling out to the right and kind of pulling defenders out of the way, which obviously Chelsea have got plenty of players that can can take advantage of that. And I think we forget also just how much Lukaku's done in the Premier League. He, If he scores two headed goals this season, which I would suggest is possible, could even happen this weekend, um, he'll be only the fourth player in Premier League history to have at least 25 goals with his head, his left foot and his right foot, um, along with Andy Cole, Robbie Fowler and, and Harry Kane. So, you know, that's pretty good company to be in. And yeah, if I was Arsenal, I would be very concerned about this game. Hmm. But it was a what a 3-1 victory for Arsenal last season. They too have made additions. Alongside the arrival of Ramsdale, it looks like Odegaard will be returning to the Emirates. How bizarre is, is, is Ramsdale? There must be a logic to it. And how much difference will Odegaard uh, make to Arteta, assuming that does get confirmed? On Ramsdale, I know Dan said it seems insane, and it does when you look at a lot of things. I mean, he, you know, he's been relegated twice already from the Premier League. He's hunting for Herman Herodeson and Nathan Blake's record of five relegations, um, possibly erroneously thinking Arsenal have never been relegated and he's safe at Arsenal. But, um, but he pretty much does win prayer of the season at every club he goes to. Now, if you're in a team that's struggling against relegation, the goalkeeper is going to get a lot of chances to look good. But he was extremely highly rated, um, had a brilliant season at, at AFC Wimbledon. And if you'd have said at that point he'll go on to play for a big Premier League team, I don't think people would be surprised. It's just his last couple of seasons have been, um, you know, pretty. he has struggled, if not personally, then as a team. Um, but it does seem, given Arsenal's, you know, given that they've been linked with a lot of players and money's a bit of an issue, it does seem quite a lot of money to, to splash out on a, a goalkeeper that you presume isn't immediately going to go in the team, but although may, maybe he will. Yeah, he he might do. I mean, he, he he does seem like a strange signing. I mean, I know I know he had his moments. He also does this thing of he's often quite far off his line and his diving is late. There was there was a goal where in Sheffield United's win actually at Old Trafford last season. I think it's Harry Maguire scores a header and his dive is so late. I would ask anyone to look this up. It looks like on an old FIFA or Pro Evo game where the keepers <laughs> often would just dive like way after the ball's in the back of the net and you're like, why that that doesn't happen in real life. Ramsdale genuinely has done that. Um, but yeah, I, I think... It may, he's on a dive bonus. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Just chuck one in. 
but I think Leno, the way Leno's been playing, he's looked pretty uncertain. Um, I, th- I don't think anyone would be too surprised if Ramsdale did become the number one reasonably quickly, especially as Leno, I think he's got two years left on his deal. He doesn't want to extend it. Arsenal don't want to extend it. So what will probably happen is they'll be in another situation next year with a player with only a year left and they can't really extract any value from him, which is kind of where they've been so often in the past. If they were going to bring in a goalkeeper who you would say is a massive upgrade on Leno and spend £30 million, mm. you would almost understand it. And I look back to a year ago when they let Emi Martinez go. You know, if you're not sure about Leno, you let Emi Martinez play. He's one of the best goalkeepers in, in the Premier League. Now, that is me not, not being biased. It's genuinely true. You know, mm. you look at what he did in the Copper America as well. It's just another strange Arsenal signing. He's kind of a player that I think will fit in well there because he's so erratic. But this is like quantity over quality is like the watchword for this Arsenal squad. I mean, this is a squad where they have as right back options, Chambers, Bellerin, Cedric Suarez, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, all of whom are the same sort of level, but none of them are that good. And and that's sort of down mm-hmm. what you're saying with, with the Ramsdale-Leno. It's like if you put those two together and all of their qualities, you'd probably have a really good keeper. But <laughs> as it is, they've got two, six, seven out of ten keepers. Hmm. What about Chelsea uh, with the wealth of options available to Thomas Tuchel? How, how do you think he's going to line them up, particularly up front this weekend? I think a lot of people assume that Timo Werner is just going to be ousted by Lukaku, but I don't necessarily think that's the case. Obviously, as we've said earlier, Lukaku can drift wide. And I think if Werner's uh, also playing, I think he can fill those spaces from from the left. So, But you look at their squad, um, obviously Havertz didn't start last weekend he could come back in as well. It's just a world of difference. And you actually think back to this fixture, not in this competition, but the Champions League quarterfinal back in 2004 when Arsenal were in their invincible season and they should have really beaten Chelsea at home, obviously at Highbury, and they didn't. And, you know, that was the season Arsenal should have become the first London team to to win the European Cup. And it's a bit of a sliding doors moment. You now look at Chelsea, twice European champions, you know, arguably one of the two or three best club teams in the world um, and Arsenal haven't won the league since that season so how things can change Right we should flip reverse that one day Duncan I was at the Chelsea Spurs friendly a couple of weeks ago and this was before Lukaku came in and they looked terrifyingly good going forward I mean so much rotations between the front three so much movement and even then was thinking like this is a, a team that should be pushing City they look terrifyingly good to then bring in Lukaku on top of that I mean the options they have is is kind of crazy. Um, and like Nat, you know, mentioned before with Arsenal signing Odegaard, which is obviously like a, a useful signing for them alongside Ramsdale, but they just feel like they're operating in an entirely different space to, to Chelsea. And obviously so much of that is financial, but um, yeah, looking at it ahead of Sunday, the, the options Chelsea have, the bench that they'll likely have is, yeah, they've, they've just got so many different ways they can hurt you. You think back to the last time they won the Champions League and it, it was in, extremely fortunate um, and they weren't particularly happy with the manager and this following season didn't start amazingly. Um, that's not the case this time. They've they've built on the fact that they've won the Champions League. They've brought in you know, possibly one of the top three strikers in Europe who's really going to add variation to their play. They already made a tonne more passing sequences of 10 or more passes than any other team in the Premier League last, last weekend. They just look like genuine title contenders to me so, hmm. so right. we'll assuming they don't draw West Brom in the cup or anything Thomas Tuchel <laughs> should be alright uh, speaking of kind of managerial un- uncertainty a week two of the season and our first real mention of the sack race in the build up uh, last weekend's defeat at Brentford putting Arteta very much top of the at risk list 
Uh, according to newspaper reports, the Gunners are eyeing kind of in this order, Brendan Rogers, Antonio Conte, uh, Eddie Howe and Gareth Southgate. Charlie, what's your information on this? <laughs> well, Arteta's got this weird uh, ability. There's a slight Emperor's New Clothes thing with him uh, at Arsenal where it, it does feel like he... The, the worst. There was a game last season against Liverpool where Arsenal lost 3-0 at home. And Arteta at that point, this was in April, so bear in mind Arteta's been there for a decent wedge of time, especially what most managers are given. And and Nat Neville, Gary Neville on commentary was kind of like, well, it's just another game that shows how much Arteta needs backing and this team need investment. And it's this, it's also which is true, but it's also like it kind of seems the worse they do, the more it's like, oh well, it's, it's anyone but Arteta's fault. Um, and the, the the reality is like, <laughs> the club is in such. Uh, a mess kind of above him. They gave him so much power. They promoted him from head coach to manager last summer. I don't think there's anyone really who knows what they're doing um, when it comes to sacking a manager, bringing a new manager in. So they, everyone at the club just kind of hopes if they close their eyes, maybe he'll turn it around again and it will sort of be okay. Um, and there's nothing to suggest really. I mean, last season, just disastrous season, really. You know, Arsenal finished eighth, didn't qualify for Europe for the first time since 94-95 season. And there wasn't really any talk that he was going to be sacked. Nothing serious. Um, I mean, were they to lose their first three games? Maybe that will change. But I also think they'll probably muddle along, let him spend all the money this summer, and then he'll probably leave in November and it'll be another wasted season. I think fans back is really bad news. That's true. Really yeah. bad news, the fans being back for, for him. I just look at them on Friday. Xhaka's still playing. Chambers is is still playing. You know, these players have been around at Arsenal for a long, long time now and haven't really done anything, but yet they're still on the opening day of the 21-22 season. Players like that are in the team. They're just going nowhere, Arsenal, in my opinion. Absolutely nowhere. I'm not even convinced changing managers will will do anything for them because I wouldn't trust them to bring the right manager in. Xhaka signed a new contract the week. Fans come back to the Emirates as uh, (laughs) an error. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They'll unveil him before the start of the game is like a new signing. Magnificent, magnificent world. Chelsea this weekend for Arsenal, then Man City next time around. Speaking of whom, let's have a quick check on what the other title contenders are up to. A City host Norwich looking to bounce back from their opening day defeat, which they looked out of their depth. Same goes for Norwich too. Uh, Liverpool are up against Burnley and Man United are at Saints. Do you expect any shocks any surprises, upsets, etc., uh, from those games, Dan, Duncan, Charlie? I don't, personally. Southampton are, are in a bit of a mess. They've lost a couple of members of the core of their team, which I, I never think is a good position to be in, possibly, well, fingers crossed for me, another one to come. So Southampton, there's something really, really funny going on there. For, for, for a club that mm-hmm. was so well run a few years ago, a club that people admired, they changed manager, it wouldn't matter. And House and Hurl's a good manager as well, but I, I'd worry for them. They're in big trouble. Nor- Norwich, I think, obviously, I can't see them doing anything at City, but I don't think they'll mind because I think every team is trying to get up to speed at the moment, fitness-wise. It's been a struggle for a lot of teams. I think for Norwich, having Liverpool and Man City as your first two games when you're not up to speed, I don't think, I don't think that's a bad thing at all because they're two games you'd probably write off anyway. So I don't see any shocks, to be honest, no. The Southampton thing's interesting. I think a lot of Southampton fans have, have got to the end of their tether with Hazen Hooter. They recognise the wider problems, but they also think, you know, he since they beat Liverpool in that game last season and there was tears on the touchline and everything, mm. 
Um, Southampton have taken 14 points from 22 games, which isn't good. And I think, you know, losing 9-0 once, fine, but I think the second time, uh, and then followed <laughs> by some tears uh, a few weeks later, uh, that's possibly too much. So, uh, and the, the yeah. second of those 9-0s being against the same team that they're facing this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think United's numbers so far this season are obviously really good, but they, they're kind of similar numbers you'd expect from a team lower down. A lot of kind of direct attacks, a lot of counter-attacks. And, you know, given the way Leeds play and set up and the, and the United hit them on the break, it, it's not surprising. But um, I think that, uh, you know, we'll see a more controlled performance from the, than this season. I think the only possible weakness is that they're awake at in the certain lights looks a bit grey and obviously that's caused problems hmm. at Southampton in the past but I presume actually they'll be wearing the third kit which is dark blue so probably be fine or maybe they'll put that on at half time okay yeah <laughs> it doesn't crucially have the word Manchester across it to identify them which could be True. could lead to some confusion out there as the minutes tick by uh, Southampton beaten of course by Everton last weekend have won just five of their 23 Premier League fixtures in the calendar year twenty. 21. United, meanwhile, are on 26 games unbeaten on the road in the league. They are one-off equaling Arsenal's uh, Premier League record of, yes, 27. All right. Man City-Norwich touched on that. Of course, uh, Norwich did beat City at Carrow Road in their last Premier League campaign. Uh, But then when they had the return game at City on the final day of that season, lost 5-0. Liverpool-Burnley, meantime... Burnley have actually come up with results in both of their last two visits to Anfield. 1-1 a couple of seasons back and then 1-0 last year, as I mentioned, ending that 68-game unbeaten home run. Uh, Again, though, the return of fans, is that a crucial factor in in, in terms of Burnley's prospects of repeating that this time? Yes, but also I think Liverpool are just in a much better place right now. You know, obviously, obviously the fact that Van Dijk's back, but even, I mean, that was... That was the start of that terrible run for Liverpool, wasn't it? But they were already mm. creaking at that point. And I think they'd lost the, they'd lost the Southampton game that you referenced already um, just before. So I feel they, they were kind of wobbling in there for the taking a little bit in a way that I don't see those same vulnerabilities now. I think Liverpool's biggest enemy this weekend is probably the wind. I'll check the weather forecast because this <laughs> this game is the most... Olympic corner laden game in, in Premier League history pretty much Ashley Westwood scored one I think three seasons ago and Burnley are like the the chief proponents of in-swing corners um, and that they seem to do them really well at Anfield for some reason um, and Alisson does seem to get a little bit perturbed by just huge Burnley men standing around him as the ball swirls in so if Burnley are going to have any success um, that might be it do you remember when uh, teams playing Stoke used to try and put out for a corner instead of a throw because they were scared of mm. Rory Delap. Well, I think the reverse is true. I can see a lot of Liverpool defenders sprinting back to to avoid giving away corners. Right, which they might be doing anyway, to be fair, Duncan. It's generally part of their job, job description. <laughs> uh, big, big Premier League players are like, everyone knows corners aren't that dangerous generally, except in this particular geographical location with these teams. So Right, OK. Burnley to score an in-swinging... A goal from a corner kick. It could happen. Next, this week's Twinkle in the Fixture Computer's hard drive. Ah, the summer was fun, wasn't it? No allegiances, everyone getting behind England, three lions being sung everywhere. 
But now the Premier League is back, get Grealish off the bench. Ah, he can stay on it at City. Pickford might have been a safe pair of hands, now he's just a pair. And enough of Jules Rimet dreaming, now it's our turn to dream. So kiss goodbye to that vomit-inducing unity and welcome back proper football. Let's celebrate flair on the grass, not a flare up the... <coughs> Paddy Power! 18plusbegumbleaware.org This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Fantastic opening weekend for Nuno Espirito Santo, the far from first pick manager at Spurs, dealing with a one away start and an opening day visit from said star's preferred destination, Champions Manchester City. And emerging from all of that, victorious. Uh, still lots of people pointing out, the Spurs always win at home to Man City. So for his next trick, can Nuno get a result back at the club he left this summer, Wolves? Crikey, what's your thoughts here, Charlie? Yeah, it'll be interesting because I think obviously playing City was a big challenge, but it, it slightly suited them that they could sit back and play on the break with those kind of pacey front three. And it will be interesting to see how they do against a team that sits deeper. I mean, obviously, Wolves are at home and with fans back, so that might help Spurs because that might force Wolves to be a bit more uh, front-footed. Uh, but it will be, you know, a different challenge. And obviously, there's the Nuno element, and you know, which brings to mind how popular he was at Wolves. I think it slightly got lost because the last season there was quite difficult, but he really did do a, a very good job and, and was really loved there. Um, and he's, he's made a really positive impression on the Spurs fans as well they, they seem to have really warmed to him and I, I don't know if part of that is kind of rallying around him in the wake of this kind of ongoing Kane um, kind of psychodrama um, but yeah it will it will be interesting to see you know the extent to which they carry on where they left off at City they looked sharp in pre-season as well um, a lot of clubs of their sort of standing had tons of players at the Euros Spurs slightly benefited from such a terrible end to last season because it meant a few of their players didn't make Euro squad. So they do look sharp and, and they play tonight, tonight being Thursday. So, I mean, they'll have rested a lot of players, but a lot of their players will have been kind of sharpened up. Um, so I quite fancy them to go and, and go and get a result here. What was the big difference for you under under Nuno from, from what you saw against Man City compared to Spurs, the way they lined up under Mourinho, for example? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because... That was a fixture that Mourinho won two out of two against City, both actually 2-0. They, they were kind of like the, the best of Mourinho, though the first of them was 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 fortunate. The second last November was quite similar to this in that Spurs um, you know, sat deep, soaked up pressure, played on the break. But the difference was they that front three looked to have 
so much more synergy than we often saw um, under Mourinho where, you know, if Kane and Son didn't connect, there wasn't a whole lot else. They played really close together and kind of both wingers moved inside, um, both depressed the City defenders, but also when they were attacking and Bergwijn made a lot of runs through the middle. But probably the, the single biggest difference was that what we saw happen so often last season when Spurs went ahead was that they sat deep, defended their penalty box and got caught out. They chucked away 23 points from winning positions last season, which was second only to Brighton. The difference this time was that they held their nerve a little bit after going 1-0 up. They retained a threat on the break and that made an enormous difference because it didn't feel like it was just like wave after wave of attack. And actually, they were fairly comfortable after going 1-0 up and probably had the best chance, that one that Bergwijn missed. Um, mm. and, and and there's just a greater sense of freedom. A lot of people have picked up on this kind of around the club that they feel like the players are allowed to make mistakes a little bit, express themselves in a way that maybe they couldn't before and they felt a bit inhibited. And then you had someone like Ali, um, Deli Ali, who played in a more defensive role than we've often seen from him. Um, you know, I think he made more tackles or attempted more tackles than he ever has for Spurs. You know, he was really playing more a kind of defensive slash box-to-box role. So little tweaks like that. But the mentality, I think, is the big thing. They, ju- they just look a bit more positive, um, a bit more front-footed than, than often they did under Mourinho, where it's quite passive and just waiting for teams to attack them. Mm. New, new Delhi. That's... That's the buzzword there <laughs> uh, for for Spurs. Uh, it's, sorry to ask this, but Kane, who hasn't travelled to Portugal on Thursday uh, for uh, the clash with Passati Ferreira, uh, is he going to be fit for the weekend? Is the plan to fa- you know to bring him in this weekend? What's the whole psychodrama? What stage are we at there, Charlie? <laughs> Uh, the hope is that he will be fit for that game. Um, wasn't deemed ready for Sunday against City, nor to travel to Portugal. He's now had a bit more training time, probably close to sufficient training time. So the plan is that he will um, that he will be in the squad. I don't think he'll start. I'd be very surprised if he started, not least because I think the front three played really well last week. Um, but yeah, the plan is that he, he'll be certainly closer uh, to contention than he was a week ago. And as someone who follows Spurs a fair degree, do you think that he's still going to be there come September? Um... Yes, I think he will be, but it is, it, you know, the last two months have been spent every day talking to people. Do, do they think Kane's going to go? What's the likelihood? And it's it has sort of ebbed and flowed. Um, yeah, I think he will be, but I, I still wouldn't rule out some late drama when City eventually crack and think, actually, should we really push hard for this in a way that they haven't done yet? So I think he probably will, but I... I certainly wouldn't be massively surprised if if City really pushed and, and, and things changed in the next week or so. I think the Kane saga has actually played into Nuno's hands a little bit. I think he's been able to go about his business quite low-key, quite quietly. And I think mm, if you take definitely. away last season at Wolves, which was a, re- a really strange and, and funny season for them, you look at what he's done the three years before... One thing he's very, very good at is fostering and harbouring a really good team spirit. He's a very organised manager. Wolves were so, so good their first two years back in the Premier League and that year in the Championship when when they got promoted. And I think he'll almost use the Kane thing to, to, to utilise that further and bring bring the squad together. I think Harry Kane will, will end, end up staying as well. I'm not sure you'll see him play for Spurs before the end of the transfer window but but like you I would not be surprised if he went but I think he'll end up staying but I think Nuno's going to have used this to, to his advantage and you can all, almost sense all the last few years has been lifted from the Spurs fans a little bit everyone feels like they've won a little bit more and I, I think they could be on for a good season 
It's the strange thing where the transfer window ends quite a few games after the season has started. And obviously the Premier League did experiment for a couple of years with, with not doing that and then realised that they were just you know shooting themselves in the foot a little bit. But it's unlikely, but say City struggle against Norwich this weekend and then again, that could prompt them to go, well, we really need Kane this season. And that's where I think, that's where a lot of the drama historically has come from, from you know, the August the 31st, September the 1st transfer deadline. Um, so I, I think we can't really rule anything out. We can't also rule them out of going for another striker because other centre forwards are available. A lot of talk on Thursday of them being interested in uh, Dusan Vlajevic, the uh, really excellent uh, Fiorentina striker who scored 21 in 37 last season, only 21 years old, and available, I would imagine, for about a third. Well, certainly, I think half of what Tottenham are charging for Kane would would, would see him uh, packing his bags from Florence. But, but sorry, Charlie, a last word on this before we uh, say something about Wolves. Yeah, well, a few things. I mean, one is that our information has always been that it's Kane or nothing um, for City. Maybe that will change. Um but that's always been the impression. And I think if they do, because if they don't go for Kane, then they may wait till next summer when Mbappe or Haaland may be uh, more available rather than going for an option like Vlajevic. The other thing that's interesting, what Duncan says about, um, you know, if, if teams, you know, you have a difficult few games and then you, you know, you, you go out and buy players, think back to Arsenal's kind of trolley dash in 2011 when after the 8-2 uh, loss at United, they bought in Andre Santos and Mertesacker Saka and Arteta and a couple of others. So, and it seems crazy because you think either, you you know, clubs should have a long-term strategy and you don't make decisions based on two or three games. But actually talking to someone who knows quite a lot about this this week, he was saying actually sometimes we give clubs too much credit and they do just eventually snap and their patience goes and they think... It. We just we really need this player. Let's do it. So I, I do think like City against Norwich could be significant for that, uh, and their game against Arsenal the following week. And then just to build on what Dan says, I, I did a big piece on Nuno, uh, kind of how he approaches management, how he differs from Mourinho, and that siege mentality, uh, that idea of kind of us against the world is is massive for him. And so I, I definitely agree that Kane has helped in that way, given them something to rally around. Um, and it does feel like he's built a, a really good team spirit already all right dan just wrap this up if you could by throwing something to any wolves supporting listeners out there the first game under bruno large didn't work out for them defeat at leicester but they did look lively yay yeah they, they could have quite easily got something from from the bits i saw of the game i think it's going to take time because that football club has changed significantly because of nuno it's Nuno that's come in and reinvented Wolverhampton Wanderers. So him not being there now, he's, he's going to be not just a big miss on the pitch, he's going to be a big miss around the place as well. I think he's been responsible for so much good that Wolves have done, and Wolves have done a lot of good over, over the last few years. So it's going to it's going to take time. I don't see them having a greatly significant season, but I think long, long term, again, they've got another manager that they will will probably be able to do similar things to Nuno. But I don't think he'll quite reach Nuno's level because I think what he did was amazing. All right, there you go. Rare for us to not have enough chat about Wolves on this podcast, but uh, that's how it is. Uh, Elsewhere, another of last weekend's big winners, Brentford's Thomas Frank, will be taking his bees across town to a bus stop in Norwood. It's a visit to Selhurst Park and Crystal Palace. That's next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. With Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Think of it as your protection against Arsenal doing an Arsenal. And in the words of Jennifer Aniston, here comes the science bit. Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet is £10. Enhanced match odds are not included. Online exclusives only. T's and C's apply. And please be gambleaware.org. Crystal Palace Brentford is taking place at Saturday at three o'clock. Patrick Vera's first home game in charge this. Intriguingly, it's the first time that Brentford have gone to Palace for a league fixture since January 1964, which was in the old third division. Uh, it was a 1-0 win for Palace. The very next day, future Palace anthem, Glad All Over, by the Dave Clark Five, went to number one. Do you know why that's Palace Anthem? No, I, I don't either. But I, apparently uh, the Dave Clark Five <laughs> actually played it live at Selhurst Park once and fans were so delighted with it that it you know, became their go-to, go-to theme ever since. Crikey. Anyway, you've got Hey Jude, of course, for, for Brentford. Who, who's going to be singing the loudest after this one? Well, there's also the Ron Nodes connection, isn't there? Um, it is, who, yes. And I'm pretty sure, people may have heard this before, but I'm pretty sure he invented the cadence of, of Steve Coogan's swimming pool attendant in the day-to-day <laughs> on an episode of St. Greavesy in the early 90s because there's an interview with him and he's clearly angry about something. It was when Charlton was sharing with, uh, with Palace and he goes... Rogers. I mean, the scoreboard here, Palace paid for, Charlton were invited to share and declined. The family enclosure here, Palace paid for, Charlton were invited to share... And they declined. And I don't know if he then said, I could go on, but I'll put the link in, uh, in when we tweet <laughs> this show out. But it's honestly one of the most... When I saw it, I was open-mouthed. I was like, this is the origin story of the swimming pool attendant. So I hope that gets some, some reference from Patrick Vieira uh, this weekend, but maybe not. In 1975, no-one died. In 1976, no-one died. In 1977... No one died. For younger listeners uh, or people who just no weren't that died. interested, Ron Nodes was the kind of legendary old school football club owner from back in the day and proper old school racist too, who actually owned and managed briefly both of these clubs. As a Palace chairman, he briefly took over as caretaker boss in 1998 and later that year left Palace, I think with the proceeds from kind of cashing out, took over at Brentford where he immediately appointed himself manager and won the third division title in his first season in charge. Mm. Uh, yes. Uh, anyway, 
There you go. Happy memories. Uh, back to this fixture this weekend, eh? Can Brentford continue their magical start? I think they will. Yeah, I, I, I mean, maybe it's just getting a bit swept up with last week, but they were really impressive in that game. And and we've seen Palace with new managers. And obviously mine goes back to Frank de Boer and starting pretty slowly. Uh, so it wouldn't be a big surprise to me if uh, Brentford did go and win. Crikey. I mean, that's a harsh comparison for Patrick Vieira, no? What he's got to do is so difficult, Vieira, I think, I think to integrate so many new players because they've had to do a complete rebuild to try and get your philosophy across and move away from something that Crystal Palace have been doing for a long time under Hodgson. I think he's got mm. such a, a tough, tough job. And Brentford are, set, are setting their ways in a good way. They know what they're doing. We, we saw that on Friday against Arsenal. They'll be going to Palace with, with no fear and I expect Brentford to come out on top. I still think it is a marathon, not a sprint, except when you're in, as Dan was saying, in Crystal right. Palace's position and you have changed so much. And I think if they if they say if they do lose to Brentford, a little bit of panic could set in and we don't want to compare Patrick Vieira with De Boer, but it could go along those lines. It is very important for them to get some points on the board early doors. Nice. Uh, Adam Arthurs has a question. Can the pod explain the Brentford B team setup and how they go about developing players who don't make it from other academies rather than having an academy themselves? Is this something other clubs are likely to adopt? Can anyone uh, furnish some information for Adam Arthurs on that? Yeah, it's something that a few clubs now are doing and trying, and Wickham have done it as well. I mean, we had to abandon and close down our youth team because we um, ran out of money. But we could have restarted it, but I think a lot of clubs realise that the Premier League academies are so bountiful and, and there's so many good young players who maybe aren't quite good enough to make it straight away at big Premier League teams that you can almost just have almost like a, a sweep every three, six months and pick up some really good players. Wickham have got a player called Anis Mometi, who's this, in, this incredibly skillful player. We picked him up from, from Norwich um, when they were in the Premier League. And yeah, it, I think it's a really positive kind of way of doing it because in the past, a lot of these players would have sort of drifted out of the game, uh, maybe had to go to non-league football and or, you know, abroad and, and try and fight their way back to the English league. But now there is this opportunity. And, and as Brentford have shown, it's a, it's a pretty good way of doing things. Yeah, Brentford are a very niche club anyway, aren't they? What they do is very niche all around the football club. And I think if you look at their catchment area, you know, Chelsea other teams in London, they're going to sweep up a lot of the talent. Brentford like to operate in a different way and that they make things work. And I think it's a really savvy move from them. Well, that's Brentford and their trip to Crystal Palace. Also Saturday at three o'clock, Villa Newcastle, which we'll be coming to very shortly. And uh, Everton's trip to Leeds, which will be the first ever managerial meeting of Bielsa and Benitez. Should be a cracker as well. Let's talk, though, about the tea time fixture between Brighton and Watford. A brilliant start by Brighton in the opening weekend, overturning kind of one of the universally acknowledged truths about them last season, which is that they couldn't score goals or manage games, were two of the universally acknowledged truths. They did both of those last weekend at Turf Moor, 2-1 victory. But the other big Brighton issue last season was their home record. Didn't win a game at the Amex until... January the 31st, in fact, their 11th home fixture. Uh, but they could do it first time out this weekend if they can beat Watford. Uh, now, Dan, I, I know you saw Watford last weekend in murderous form at the Vicarage, in, in, indeed. Uh, and uh, what, what, what do you think about Brighton's chances? I've got to be honest. 
I spoke to a member of Villa's coaching team and he said Watford were terrible all pre-season. And I've, I've, the bits I saw as well, that, that they were terrible. And then suddenly they came alive on Saturday. I think, I think obviously a lot of home teams won at the weekend. I think it was a, a massive leveller in some ways, having the home fans back for Watford. But Villa were awful, honestly. We, we, we were terrible. I'd expect Watford to be somewhere near the bottom. But they've got Ishmael Asar who caused us all sorts of problems. And if he can get a Brighton again on the break, because Brighton will play the way that Brighton play, you know, there will be opportunities to try and pick them up on the break. Watford could could well cause cause them trouble. That, that They looked really, really organised. I think, again, the advantage for Watford at the weekend was that they've had all their players back in training pretty much since the end of June. You know, they've had a good pre-season with not, with not many disruptions in, in terms of fitness, even if the results haven't been good. They caught Villa cold. I think they could possibly end up doing the same against Brighton. Brighton, though, such a surprise last week to see them finishing so well, I mean, in, in every sense, away at Turf Moor. Are we seeing now the fruits of Graham Prosser's labour? Duncan? Well, across a lot of different models last season, based on expected goals for and against, you know, every, as people know, Brighton would have finished fifth or sixth and... You know they could well do that if they carry on like this. It wouldn't. It would be a surprise because it's Brighton, but it wouldn't be a surprise if you've seen them play over the last twelve months. So, I mean, again, I think this is quite a big fixture. If they can win this and have six points out of six, their confidence will be high. And and uh, here we go. But um, as Dan said, I think Watford. Uh, I think Watford could be one of those kind of teams this season that just kind of upset the the apple cart now and again. But um, yeah, I, I'd still fancy Brighton to to be pretty good here. They're, based on all the kind of underlying metrics, they're second only to Chelsea, and I know it's only after one game, but it does show it wasn't like a kind of smash and grab at Burnley. They just went there and played like a like a big six team. Really, you're tipping them for the Europa League next season. Yeah, why not? Sit Brighton in six. Yeah, that's it. It's nailed on. Graham Potter certainly was very well thought of by um, people at Spurs in their long drawn out managerial search and and by a lot of the players as well I was told you know a lot of them really impressed with him so he clearly is a really you know outstanding manager and I, I do I do hope because they, they had so many as we talked about those frustrating games where they created the chances had the high xg but didn't take them so I do hope they kind of start to cash in on all those this season and kind of finish more where their kind of build up play and approach um sort of merits I mean, as we said last season, this is the beauty of having these numbers around now. I think 10 years ago, 20 years ago, Brighton having a season like they did last year, the, the club might have panicked and got rid of Potter at one point because it did look, you know, they were very close and briefly in the relegation zone. But I think clubs are a lot more savvy now, like Brentford, as we talked about, and they actually look and go, we're actually quite a good team. We're just not having the run of the ball. Um, Do you not think so, that yeah. they could have said that exact sentence 10, 20 years ago? We're actually quite a good team. We're not having the run of the ball. No, I don't. I think back then, people, fans, directors, decision makers were less informed, and you know, very much was to use a cliche, a results business. Results business. Yeah. <laughs> it's a results business. We've got to get rid. But honestly, I think we've seen last season saw relatively few managerial changes. I think clubs are now realizing, particularly when they've got transfer policies where. You know, it's a longer term thing. Well, not all clubs, but some. They they realise that just changing the manager every few months, panicking, isn't necessarily the right thing to do. Mm. Especially as with with Potter, I remember there was a point, probably midway through last season or something like that, that since he'd taken over, him and Houston were very very similar when it came to things like points per game, goals scored, goals against. But as Duncan says, it was one where then when you unpacked it a little bit. Um, 
there were there were quite stark differences between the two. All right. Well, we'll see if those stark differences continue when they host Watford this weekend. The first Monday night game of this new Premier League season is West Ham Leicester. Uh, Duncan, your pre-season prediction that Jamie Vardy would not get double figures in goals mm. after a slightly rocky start. Did I say we'll goals? See. Did I say goals? Yeah. Right, yeah. I meant hat-tricks, but yeah. No, I, well, I still want... He's got nine to go, hasn't he? Well, I've got eight. Nine got, to go? You know, yeah. Right. He's also, as okay. it stands, got the highest chances created per 100 passes this season at 16.7. So, But he always starts well, so I'm not worried. Okay. And, uh, well, you know what we haven't talked about, Dan, and that is your Villa, who are hosting Newcastle Saturday in that three o'clock slot. So you've talked a little bit about what you thought of Villa against Watford, which was not very much. Uh, do you do you have high hopes that being back at Villa Park with the fans and that is going to light a fire under Dean Smith's side this weekend? Yeah, and again, I think a team like Newcastle is the kind of team you, you want to be playing off, off, off the back of a, de- of a defeat. Although I was I was relatively impressed with Newcastle at the weekend against West Ham, although defensively very, very open. And that's what Steve Bruce is supposed to be good at. So if I was a Newcastle fan, I'd be, I'd be pretty worried. I think another week of full training will help Villa. We've got Douglas Louise, who's, who's come back from Olympic duty now as well. I'd expect him to come back in, into the midfield for, for a game like this. We need, we need to be better on the ball. We were not good enough on the ball or off the ball against Watford. Leon Bailey had a nice little half an hour cameo coming off the bench. I'd expect him to start. He's a player who I would say is above our level at the moment. They've, they've done very well to get him in. I really, really think he's, he's going to be a game changer for us. We'll be playing 4-4-2 if Watkins is fit. Watkins was a massive miss at the weekend as well. He really sets the tempo, sets the tone with his pressing. He wins things that he's got absolutely no right to win. Hot high at the pitch. If he's back paired with Danny Ings, I would expect us to have too much for Newcastle. I think that they'll be in trouble again this year or they'll probably have a run towards the end of the season and stay up like they always do. But I think home fans back, Villa with a couple of new players integrated, another week of training. I would expect us to beat Newcastle on Saturday. Also, it should be a good atmosphere, right? Because isn't Villa Newcastle like a an underrated rivalry? Yeah, it's one of those weird rivalries where Newcastle hate Villa. It all stemmed from a banner about Anton Deck being the being the next Messiah when they when they got relegated. That that is basically what what that rivalry has, has stemmed from. The, the Newcastle up, fans Dan? really didn't like it. I do actually know the guy. So they got relegated at Villa Park. We, we scored a lucky right. goal and they, they went down. I think this was 2008, 2009. So they, they went down for, mm. the, for the first time. The banner was unveiled at the end of the game saying, who's your next Messiah? Antor Deck. And from then <laughs> on, Newcastle, Newcastle fans do not like Villa. Yeah, Shearer had been appointed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, he was the manager that, that took them down. It just didn't go down very well. And from then on, you, you know, they've hated us. Unlike Newcastle, but yeah. So, um, and has, has have Anton Decker, has their career suffered as a result of this as well or not? I think they've been okay. They've done a bit, haven't they? All right. I'm an attacking midfielder. Get me out of here. <laughs> if I'm, in terms of historical precedence in this fixture, of course, uh, you've also got the, the famous Newcastle, uh, what's Bowie the word? Dyer, Scuffle. Yeah. Yeah, Kieran Dyer against Lee Boyer in uh, 2005, which comes to mind because there was a, a very similar incident this weekend in, or this Monday night actually, in the opening weekend of Super League action in Turkey. I don't know if you 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 caught that at all. Player facing some very heavy sanctions after absolutely smacking one of his his teammates. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk perhaps about 
that more uh, shortly. Newcastle, though, Dan, as you were saying, looking bold and open against the Hammers last weekend. Joe Willock should be available, I believe, at this time around. And how worried, Dan, are you about facing Sam Maxima? Well, after I saw what Ishmael Assad did to us down, down the right-hand side on Saturday, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about St Maximum. Target just didn't look fit at all at the weekend, so if he's up against him, hopefully he's a bit fitter than he was last week. They're going to be a team that can cause problems on the break because they've got Wilson who gets on the end of things and they've got St Maximum, they've got Almir on who are all very good on the break. All Willock does is make them break even from last season, though, in, t- in terms of, of income. You know, that just puts the squad up to up to what it was last season. In fact, they've lost a few players who've come to the end of the contract as well. So Newcastle need far, far more of them to move up the table. So I'm not not particularly worried, but I'm, I'm aware that they can be a team that can hurt you on the break. But I do think they'll ship goals. All right. Oh, there you go. That's the Premier League weekend in prospect. Very shortly, we'll get uh, well. have a quick touch on one or two stories from around Europe midweek. First of all, though, let's get some odds from Paddy Power, courtesy of producer Charlie. Hello, listener. You've heard about the weekend's football. You've heard what our expert panel has to say about it. But what does the market have to say about it? Well, Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power has been in close contact with the market and has the answers. Carl, Arsenal versus Chelsea, the headline act on Sunday. Are the Gunners gonna beat the Blues again? Well, firstly, Charlie, the Sharks may be circling a certain Spaniard as we've seen a lot of money for Arteta to be the next manager to walk the plank R. He's now the even money favourite to be the next manager to leave his post. Both Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Alexandre Lacazette cried off with mystery illnesses last week. And if that were to be the case this weekend, to answer the question you posed at the start, Charlie, no, I think they will struggle to beat the Blues without any firepower up top. We have Arsenal priced at 7-2, the draw is 13-5, and Tuchel's well-oiled Blues are the 3-5 favourites. Now, some positive news for Arsenal fans after a week of bickering was that Martin Odegaard looks like he's coming back on a permanent basis after impressing in his 20 appearances last season. He needs to be registered by midday on Friday, guys, in order to feature Sunday. And if the Gunners are to have any chance of avoiding defeat to this Chelsea juggernaut, who are now fronted by a goal of Lukaku, they could do with the talented Norwegian on the pitch. Speaking of the Belgian powerhouse, he's 3-1 to one to score the game's first goal, and that'll be popular. I'm intrigued by Saints v Man United. You've got United's away record, you've got the 9-0, you've got Pogba and Fernandez. Everything's pointing one way, so it must be a Southampton win. <laughs> well, Charlie, stranger things have happened. Southampton are priced up at 4-1 to one for the upset here at St Mary's. The Saints tasted defeat in their opener at the hands of Rafa's Everton, losing 3-1. The visitors will strut onto the St Mary's turf after an impressive five-star display against Leeds last weekend. United are odds-on favourites to win this one, Charlie, at 8-13. to They'll be in plenty of Akers this weekend. A share of the spoils is priced at 3-1. to one. Pogba, like you say, Charlie, was on fire bagging four assists last weekend, whilst Bruno, the apple of Ole's eye, took up where he left off last season with a hat-trick. Lightning doesn't strike twice though, Charlie, but if you fancy another hat-trick by Fernandes, it's a massive 33-1. to You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only, terms and conditions apply, and when that fun stops, stop. Busy week. Of football already, there's been Champions League, final playoffs, Benfica 2-1 up against PSV and loads of other things which you can check up online if you're uh, of that uh, of that mind. Uh, full midweek fixture list in the Football League, which you can hear all about in Thursday's Totally Football League show, which should be 
with you shortly. West Brom now top. Uh, Forest losing again. Last season, they lost uh, all their first four fixtures and promptly fired their manager. Chris Hooten's lost the first three this time around. Be interesting to see how this one plays out there. Uh, meantime, in Germany, uh, the Super Cup was played Tuesday night. Dortmund against Bayern. Did anybody see this? Yeah, I watched it. Did you, Dan? Very good. Very enjoyable. Robert Lemdowski with a brace just for a change. Uh, Thomas Muller with Bayern's other goal. And uh, Erling Haaland looking... Uh, well, you tell us, how, how did how did the game seem to you? He cut a frustrated figure, Holland. I, I thought through the game, looked frustrated with, with with the service he was getting. Dortmund weren't quite at it. Obviously, they've they've got a new manager. Bayern obviously had a new manager as well. Dortmund caused their own problems. I would say. I mean, the third goal, they pulled themselves back into the game through a lovely strike from Royce, and then the third goal, they've just shot themselves in the foot, trying to be too clever, playing it out from the back. A lazy pass. It's ended up at Muller's feet, and he's he finished the game game off, but. Bayern just looked imperious. Upa Meccano at the back is is just sensational. He's such a such a good defender. He's such a such a unit. So so fast. He's he's going to be a real game changer for the, for them. I think that the squad looks a little bit weaker on paper, but I think their first team has potentially improved. I think Bayern will, Bayern will obviously always be the favourites for the Bundesliga. Lewandowski shows no signs of of slowing down at all. It, it could be another one of those building years for Dortmund, but I think I think they're heading in the right direction as well. I think they'll be ready to challenge again in the next couple of years fully. All right. Well, they had a massive win at the weekend, which led to some people, some hasty people, wondering whether this could be their year uh, for the title again. But Bayern bouncing back Tuesday night. Lewandowski, by the way, uh, doing a wonderful piece with that Raphael Honigstein, which you can find on The Athletic in which he basically talks about some of his most special goals and explains how he did them. Uh, Duncan, do you anticipate Robert Lewandowski pitching up at a club near you soon? Well, the nearest club to me is Millwall, so that seems unlikely. But, um, I mean, he is a bit of a curveball into the last few weeks, as we talked about earlier. Um, if of the transfer leave and, Yeah, because he's apparently said this morning he wants to leave. So, And he's available for £100 million. Around apparently, so do you know of any clubs who are looking for a striker for 100 million? Well, here we go. Honestly, if Lewandowski's in play and as well as Kane, I think that could make the last week of August <laughs> interesting if you like. Kane goes sense. and Spurs bring in Lewandowski, he nearly Simple. went to Blackburn, didn't he? So, it, uh, it's yeah, got previous lots of people have nearly went to Blackburn, mm. Mm. some people did actually, of course. You know, historically speaking. Well, there you go. Uh, anyway, you can hear uh, Robert Lewandowski's thoughts breaking down the Lewandowski method, and so very successful it is, with Raphael Honigstein. I say you can hear, you can actually read it. Uh, there you go. Uh, that's up on The Athletic. Now, elsewhere in Europe, important news. Galatasaray's Marcao red-carded Monday for headbutting and punching his compatriot Kerem Atogoglu uh, in a 2-0 victory for Galatasaray of a Giransuspor. Apologies for the pronunciation. Apparently, he could be facing a 10-game ban. Suggestion is that while uh, Marcao was giving Karim some uh, directions on how to play better, Karim put his fingers to his lips as if to say, hush now, at which point uh, Marcao (laughs) got violent. Red mist descended and all that. Hey, uh, Norwegian news. This is actually from last week, but has broken across all sorts of news outlets in the last few days. 12 players from first division side SK Braun in trouble after using their home ground for an orgy. Uh, They went to a nightclub, 
and then decided to go back to theirs, theirs being the brand stadium, but mindful of the chance of uh, anyone got actually the keys filming to this work. Don't up worry. on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they made sure that everyone left their mobile phones outside. Uh, unfortunately, the SK Brand Stadium also uh, has a stadium surveillance cameras, which were working and led to club officials being enormously surprised when they reviewed these security cameras the next morning. Anyway, lots of Norwegian wood. Hey? Yeah. So um, we'll see what happens about that. But why, why is the club... If the club had this footage, why would they sort of leak it and make a story out of it? You'd think they'd want to want to bury it. I mean, leaks happen, Charlie, as you know. If I had to rank places I didn't think had security cameras, I don't think football stadiums would be high on that <laughs> list. But, you know, there we go. I was going to say that they'd want to keep it in-house, but then I guess that's where the problems have started. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Where would you rank high if you were going to go for a sex mm. orgy with, you know, your colleagues? Mm. Where would you go? Yeah. Duncan? I don't probably, probably like a, a cave network, maybe like the Blue John Caves in in the Peak District, um, because I think once you got past some security, some basic security, once you're in caves, it's fine. Isn't it? so, okay. I don't suggest people do do that before the National Trust are on to me, but um, it's a possibility. Right. I, I imagine that, I mean, those caves have been around a while. I doubt you'd be the first, were you, to do that. Well, they're called the Blue John Caves. It's a bit of a clue, I imagine. So, uh. <laughs> All right. Well, wherever you're doing it, listener, make sure you take care. Precautions and that. Dangerous times. Excellent. Is there anything else of a note that we should be communicating to our listener before we let them go? The only game we didn't really talk about much was uh, Leeds-Everton. Um, That's true. And given that the two managers are most associated with a bucket and a beach ball, I thought it was a nice touch that the fixture computer made them play in August um, in the summer holidays. So little things like that makes the Premier League a very special competition. Beautifully done, Duncan. All right, then. Well, that wraps it up for this edition of the Totally Football Show. We will return Monday morning with our thoughts on how all those games turn out. For now, though, it's many, many thanks to Dan and Charlie and Duncan and producer Charlie and you, listener. Uh, We'll catch up with you soon. Cheerio. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app, and discover bonus content by following The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.